I am Scott Reekers. This is my wife, Rachel Reekers. Um, and we are the CM directors at Northwest College. So most of you are probably very familiar with Northwest College. You've probably sent a few students or know a few students who have gone there. Um, we've actually had a few students from Warland who have come through our ministry over the course of time. Um, Dale, can you believe that I've been there eight years now? Uh, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a long time since uh, um, we had a meeting in a motel room in Cody where we all got together and I said, hey, I want to do this. And the region said, hey, we want you to come do this. So um, that's the short synopsis of um, me talking about being called up here to come and do this ministry. Um, But we have been here for eight years. We love working with college students. We love spending time with college students. I thoroughly enjoy um, getting to spend time with them. For the first time, they are out of their homes. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Um, But we love getting to be there and be part of that. And one of the reasons I love that is because I love the church. And one of the things that saddens me more than anything else is that there is a giant vacuum. After a high school student leaves their home church, it is very normal for them to leave church altogether for a very significant time. Sometimes we get lucky and we get to recapture them a little later in life when they get married and realize all of a sudden, huh, I want my kids in church. There is that that happens sometimes, but that's actually fairly rare at this point. So Rachel and I, when we answered that call eight years ago to move to Powell, Wyoming, Um, That was one of the reasons. But then the other reason is we knew that there was a large population of international students at Northwest College. And we said, hey, we want to be involved with them. Um, We want to have the opportunity to share the gospel with international students. And that is how, um, how we ended up there at Northwest College. We love what we do. Um, so please, if you have any questions about collegiate ministry afterwards, feel free to ask me. But I want to say thank you to you as a church for being a part of the West region of the Wyoming Southern Baptist Missions Network. I almost messed that up this morning and almost called that um, Wyoming Southern Baptist Convention in the first service. For those of you who've been involved on, in the denominational level or gone to state conventions, you remember we made that name change and I am a Wyoming boy. I grew up with the Wyoming Southern Baptist Convention so it was hard for me to make that um, name change and not forget to say it right. So Dale, be proud of me, please. Um, So we have been here for eight years. We have thoroughly enjoyed that and we thoroughly enjoy the support that we receive from our regional churches. When you send your money through the church, through the cooperative program and to our region, one of the ministries that it supports is collegiate ministry at Northwest College. Now, there are multiple collegiate ministries throughout the state. University of Wyoming has a very good program, so we enjoy that we get to send our students. We usually get them for two years, sometimes three. Maybe if we get someone that's, you know, really efficient, they'll stay for four. We've had that a couple times too, Um, but that's rare. Um, We like it when we get them for four because we get to leave a bigger footprint in their life, but um, usually we get them for two, and then we've established ministry and we try to send them to ministry in Laramie if they're going there, or we connect them with another ministry in a different place. We've had several that have gone to um, Spearfish that we've done that. In fact, one of my international students who accepted Christ while he was with us went to Spearfish and he connected with a ministry there. 
So that is one of the things that we do. But I want to again say thank you for supporting Collegiate Ministry through being part of a Wyoming Southern Baptist Mission Network church and supporting financially there. Now, what does CM look like on a daily basis? If you can put that picture up on the screen. I'm going to share with you about our year. Um, That is a picture from our pancake dinner that we had this year. Now, we do a pancake dinner at the end of every semester for our students because this is right before finals week starts. Now, I'm gonna tell you guys something that is kind of a very, um, very crazy stat about that. There are 14 students that were at the house that night. Of that 14, only one of them was a believer. And if you look around that table, um, I'm gonna look up here because it feels weird talking about a picture that I'm staring at up there. If you look around that table, in this bottom right corner, you can see a, he's Chinese, but he actually grew up in Japan. That is Yuya. He's officially our um, friendship family student. So we've technically, they don't like us to use the word adopt because they know that's kind of faux pas. They want us to be friendship families with them, but it used to be able to call it kind of adopt them. So Yuya is, um, is at our house quite regularly. We, we spend a lot of time with him. That is Leon. That is next to him. Leon actually came to our CM retreat this fall. And so then next is a Russian student. That is an American student who his best friends are all the international students. So he comes with them. The back half of that table is actually um, a lot of Mormon students who are soccer players. And so they have been coming then, you know, coming back around. Then Ayla next to us, she is my believer um, at that table. And so when I say that I would covet your prayers first and foremost for this group, it's because of who, who that group is. When 13 out of 14 of them do not have a relationship with the Lord, they, my Japanese students, this is a, a really funny story. Um, we have a Bible study at our house. And I've got a different group of students that actually comes to our Bible study. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But we did it at our house and my Bible study students come in and I kind of expected like the international students were gonna get up and leave when they finished their game. They were playing a board game with Rachel and Rachel usually comes into our Bible study, um, but they didn't get up and leave. They didn't know what the word Bible study meant. They literally sat at our table, just kept playing the game. Then they start asking Rachel, so what are they doing over on the other side of the room? What are they talking about over there? Rachel had the opportunity to tell them what it meant to actually open the Bible and what they were talking about. They had no idea. Um, to most of our Japanese students, Jesus is one God among many, one that they, that they could add or accept. They don't know that he is the one and only Savior. And so that is the point that we are hoping to get to them. That is the seeds that we are planting. The good news is most of my Japanese students are first-year students, so I will get them for two years. Our Russian students, we get for a semester. So we're lucky if we get to share the gospel with them. Um, and so we're really praying that the seeds that we planted with her will be effective because she is already headed back to Russia. Um, so that is, that is one piece of our group. But then the other piece of our group that we have is I have five rodeo students that come every Sunday night for a Bible study in my home. Now, if you know rodeo students, with the exception of maybe RAs on campus, they are the busiest students. 
They have to get up in the morning, have to run and feed their animals. Then they have to come back to campus and do all sorts of different, different tasks for classes. But a lot of them are in the vocational programs. One of my uh, rodeo students, he's, a, he's learning to be a welder. Um, and then another is learning to be a pilot. So like, that's kind of busy programming. There's a lot of requirements for those students. And so they get up, or after they feed their animals, they go do that. Then after work, they go take care of their animals. Then they also have rodeo practice for large sections. Then they also have multiple times where they have to go for rodeos and do different things. And some of them compete in rodeos that are not college-level rodeos. They actually go, and you hear about, like, um, living the lifestyle of going on the road and winning at rodeos and what, what were your winnings for the weekend, that sort of thing. I've got a few that live that life. Um, and so that makes, it, that makes it a challenge because there may be some weeks where I've got all five of them. There may be some weeks I've got one of them for Bible study. And that makes it a challenge um, in looking at that. So with that, though, I want to tell the story about growth. Last year, I had, a, I had one returning student, and then we had COVID. It was a challenge at best to have any types of meetings. So we did it, we funneled it through First Southern there in Powell because we as a church could do more without the restrictions. This is under the advice of our, um, of our, our uh, counselor that we have. We have to have a sponsor and sponsor counselor. And so he said, hey, they need to get off campus. They need to get out of their room. They're pretty much doing everything on Zoom. Their entire life is in their dorm room. Get them off campus, go do some things so that they don't feel like they're in prison. So we did that. Well, I had one returning student. Well, the one place that was open at the college was the gym. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. Well, I met Rob there. And Rob was my first rodeo student. In eight years of ministry, because of how busy rodeo students are, we've never been able to connect with them. So this is the first time that we've had, through CM, a footprint impact on the rodeo team. And it's been wonderful because one rodeo student turned into five. And so now I have, um, and you can be praying for a young man named Logan. Um, he'd probably be embarrassed if he knew that I were talking about him. But he is my only solid, what I would say probably came from a church, really knows his Bible student in that group. The others are just a sponge. They're absorbing everything that we've done. We've gone through the entire book of First Timothy this first semester with them. So Rob is a solid Bible-believing student. Or not Rob, excuse me. Logan is a solid Bible-believing student. Rob is still growing. He's very young in his faith. But Logan has agreed to memorize Scripture with me this semester. I was challenged by a, um, by a mentor that memorizing Scripture is a big deal. You need to do that with your leadership team. It's a college cohort thing that we're actually doing all as state CM directors together. We were challenged to do that. So I immediately text Logan. He's like, yeah. I'm in. Let's do it. So Logan and I are going to memorize scripture together, and I am hoping that he can be a leadership student moving forward into the future um, that will help be a multiplier, because I'm a firm believer in empowering students to share the gospel for them to reach their campus, and then that means it's a multiplying factor, and so I really firmly believe in that. So those are my prayers that I would ask you guys to be praying for, but this, when you look up at this, for me, this brought me to a sermon title that I've, that I've looked at before, and it's called The Gospel is Not Optional, and that's what the Lord has laid on my heart to work through here. For me and these students that we've got, the gospel is not optional. I may never have another opportunity to share with some of these international students the gospel. We have to make the most of our opportunity there, and it's not, not optional. 
This is what God has called us to. But the beauty of a call is that it's not just for me. The beauty of a call is that every single one of us is uniquely called by God to do specific things because you are an individual. You are uniquely, wonderfully, and divinely made. And so that is going to be the thrust. The gospel is not optional, and I'm going to weave that through the rest of this message. But I'm going to start with a guy named Levi, and then we'll work through his call. And so if you will turn to Mark 9.9, I'm sorry, guys. I gave out the wrong reference here. Okay, so it is 2.13. Mark 2.13. Jesus calls Levi. Now that I've sent you all over scripture, I'm gonna let you guys get there, I promise. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them And as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, how many of you would find it odd if someone showed up at your place of employment, walked in, pointed, said, hey, come follow me? It'd be a little odd. I'd probably be looking for security. Like, the only person who's probably going to do that to me is my boss. You know, and if you say and follow me, I'm probably wondering if I'm still employed there. Okay, by the way, I'm bivocational, so I do have a full-time job outside of CM. Like, we moved there. Uh, we moved there on faith that we were going to do that, and we found um, job opportunities there because of that. So I would find it a little odd if someone walked into our office and said, hey, you, follow me. But that's the equivalent of what Jesus did. I'm going to assume that Levi had probably heard of Jesus. There's probably a little bit of fame already starting there, but we don't know that for sure. The context doesn't give us a lot of like background of that, that relationship already. And what does Levi do? In the middle of doing taxes, he gets up and he follows Jesus. How would you feel if your consultant at H&R Block got got up because some random guy said, hey, follow me. And you're sitting there with your tax and like, I don't even know if I've got a refund yet. That's the situation. That's the real deal of what happened. It was literally a drop everything. You have been called by me. You are going to follow after me and you are coming with me. And Levi said, yes. Now that's odd. But now here's what's even, even crazier to me. Levi was so excited that, a, that someone came up to him and said, follow me, that he said, not only am I going to follow you, but I'm going to throw a party. Because the, in the next sentence, you find out that they're at Levi's house. Levi had invited all of his friends, and they are there enjoying the company of Jesus. And we kind of miss that part because we immediately like to, ooh, let's talk about the confrontation with the Pharisees. That's kind of like that next step that we get to. We forget that Levi was excited enough to start a party. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing about this to me, is that we tend to say, okay, I'm going to get excited about the things I want to get excited about. 
we tend to kind of hold a lot of things close to our chest. And I'm gonna be real honest, this has done that. Social media has done that because what we like to do is we like to take and we like to compartmentalize our entire lives. And guys are worse about it than, than ladies, okay? Um, I, I heard of a book, I didn't read it all the way through, I read excerpts from it in college. It was the Christian version of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It was men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. Well, the analogy was a woman's thought is like a plate of spaghetti where one thought can lead to another, can lead to another, can lead to another, can lead to another. And I can listen to my wife and I know how she got there, but I couldn't explain how she got there because it looks like a plate of spaghetti. That's just how it works. I am a man. So this compartmentalization of life makes total sense. It looks like a waffle. But our society and this, this thing that kind of dominates our dominates our life. We have our social media life. We put things on there that are very fake. I work in a Western hunting industry. And it's really funny to me because there are some of these accounts that have huge followings. I'm like, you just killed your first elk. Like, and we're, we're, you're being paid to be an influencer. This doesn't make sense. I won't tell you names of who those are. That's not fair to them. Um, but in looking at, at that, it's created these compartmentalized pieces of life where you have your social media life where you portray one thing. You have your side of life that, okay, this is family. This is how this is portrayed. And then you kind of, we kind of make these boundaries. But then a lot of it is fake a lot of the time because of that. And we don't get excited about what the real things are. We forget that there's a calling in our life that should work through all of these things. A call much like what Levi had. And... Sometimes this compartmentalization of our lives where how many times has it felt like in your life where going to church is a checkbox? I checked off that I went to church this week. It doesn't feel like Levi where he said, yep, I'm getting up, I'm going to church, and I'm throwing a party because I'm going to church. We've compartmentalized and we've stopped saying that a lot of the things that we do are important. We've just added them to a list. And guys, don't hear me wrong. Everything that we do in church is important. I'm a big fan of Sunday school. I'm a big fan of small group Bible studies. I'm a big fan of corporate worship. As you can, you know, we spend a lot of time doing that over the course of, course of ministry. I've led worship at multiple different places where I have served. It's been a big part of what we do. All of this is very important. But we're in danger when it becomes mundane, when it becomes part of a checklist. When we lose that excitement that like Levi had in a calling. And so I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture here. And I think I scared the first service. I don't know if they were already at 8 a.m. to hear this story. This was a, I had an 8 a.m. introduction to public speaking class in college. Freshman in college, no less. So number one, I'm 18. I'm going to be 19. I am awkward, I am not good in front of people, I'm still probably awkward in front of people, I'm sure you're all thinking that. And then on top of that, it's at 8 a.m. I'm a college student at 8 a.m. going to a public speaking course. Can you imagine going to that and thinking, man, this is gonna be great? Well, first day, we go through the syllabus, you know, the rundown that you do in a college course where you actually go through the whole syllabus tells you everything that's there. You mark it in your calendar. And I'm old enough. I didn't have an electronic calendar. 
I had, you know, like an actual flipbook calendar where I put everything in, and these are all the dates. I had to have speeches prepared and such and such. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be terrible. Walk in on the second day of the class. Professor goes to the, goes to the front of the class, and the first thing he does is he yells at us, Get pumped! Like that enthusiastically. 8 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, whoa, who is this guy? But he was right. If you're not pumped when you give a speech, if you're not pumped about what you're doing, nobody else is going to be. And when I think about this, Levi got pumped. He was so excited about Jesus coming to him and calling him and saying, I have a job for you, that he threw a party. That's not a checklist. That's not a a thing where you say, I think I'll go to Sunday school today. Guys, we are called to be believers. Jesus has uniquely called each of us to him. And he has a unique purpose for each of us. Every one of us has unique skill sets, unique things that we are capable of doing. And in that, I'm going to challenge you and say, what is God calling you to do in serving in this church here? What is he saying that you can do here in this church? How can you serve the community of Warland through Crosspoint Baptist Church? Every one of us has a unique call. And so I'm going to lay out, you know, I'm sure most of you, if you've been in church circles, have heard this stat before, but it's a unique challenge that I'm going to lay out. 80% of the work in a church is usually done by about 20% of the people. I'm going to challenge you here, don't be an 80-20 church. Can you imagine what would happen for the cause of the gospel if it were 100% church? And I know that's, okay, pie in the sky, but what if it were even 50% of the people were doing more work? Guys, pies grow. Like any of you that have the wonderful um, job of looking at spreadsheets like I do, understand that budgets can grow. And so it works the same way in God's economy. When we serve, that is a unique opportunity where we fulfill what God has called us to. And when those things happen, ministry multiplies, ministry multiplies, and that turns into more people being called, more people coming to know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. And so looking at Levi's call then, are we excited are we pumped up? And I would say that if we have, if we are not pumped, if we are not excited about serving, there's something missing. There's something that is inhibiting us from being able to serve. And so I'm going to lay this out right now. This is the part where, guys, I'm just I'm going to step on your toes. John told me it was okay to step on your toes. He's just going to kick me out afterwards. Um, He didn't actually say it like that, but um, this is the part where I'm going to step on toes because this is the hard part. This is where we have to actually dig in and look because if we're missing enthusiasm for the gospel, if we're missing excitement about what God is doing, one of the issues we then have is that what's stopping that excitement? If we're not excited about the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins 
and we don't want to share that with people, something is getting in the way. And usually, there's two things. The first is you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or the second is that there is regular habitual sin that is stopping you from being able to serve. Now, what I'm going to go down the regular habitual sin, and we're going to talk about that because a long time ago, I read a book by Billy Graham. And the book's title is actually called The Holy Spirit. Um, I actually read it when I was in college, believe it or not. Um, And one of the things that he talked about in the book is what are the sins against the Holy Spirit? What are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, one of them is called quenching the Holy Spirit. And that is when a believer intentionally turns off the faucet, well, and intentionally by their sin, but sometimes it's not known sin. Sometimes it's a habitual sin that you just need to take care of. And so when, the, when that gets turned off, that's a problem. So the easiest illustration I've got to share what that's like is my wife and I, if we don't communicate, I am quenching my relationship with her. Now, she had to run downstairs. I'm assuming that my uh, youngest son who's here needed to, needed to eat, but she would be enthusiastically agreeing. One of the things that's gonna happen today is, guys, believe it or not, I'm not naturally like an extrovert. I'm the guy that can go disappear in the mountains for seven days alone and be okay. Like that's not naturally here. Me being standing up in front of people is not like this natural thing. I have to work really hard at it. This is a, this is a calling, okay? This is something that God has, has done and said, yes, you need to be doing this. So I'm gonna use up my word count for the day. And I forget what the, the word count is, but she needs a lot of words every day. Her love languages are communication and quality time. So she's going to get the quality time on the drive back home. But she's also going to expect me to interact. And I'm going to have to work a little bit harder because I'm using up like my words for the day right now. And I'm okay if I don't speak the rest of the day. That's kind of my nature as an introverted person. So in order not to quench that relationship on the way home, I am going to have to communicate with my wife. I'm going to have to spend time talking with her, acknowledging her, and we're going to probably talk about how excited we are to see the kids. I haven't seen my kids. I was actually in Dallas earlier this week. And so I'm going to be excited to communicate with her, but it's going to be hard because it's not natural. I'm using up all those words that are like, that's how many I'll speak in a day. So I'll, I'll work on that, but I don't want to quench that relationship with my wife. Because if you do that over and over, she'll stop talking to me over the course of time. And that's what we do to the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit in our life, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. What that means is the relationship is not as strong as it should be. Another way to look at it is when you quench the Holy Spirit, it's like a water balloon. Now, a water balloon is meant to have a certain weight and shape and size because if you don't put enough water in it, it just turns into a blob that you can throw at everything and it doesn't splash. Holy Spirit likes to be splashed on people. It likes to be thrown out. It likes to be sent out. It likes to work inside of people. So you fill up the water balloon to that nice right size and shape and you're able to throw it and it splashes all over. Hopefully you hit the intended target. I loved throwing water balloons at youth when I was a youth pastor. Um, That was like one of my favorite times of the years when we could do that during the summer. That's kind of where I got this analogy. But when you fill up a water balloon and you tie it off and it's not actually full, it's pretty well useless. 
You got to put more water in there to make it effective so that it can splash and do its job. It's meant to explode. When you have that water balloon that actually explodes, like say inside the sink, that's probably a really good picture of it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. It's all over you. It's all over everyone around you. Then the next thing, you go grab another one, fill it up again, and you keep working on it. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But when what you do is you say, nope, I only want the Holy Spirit to work in certain parts of my life. I don't want you talking to me about that sin. That's what quenching the Holy Spirit is. And if you're not hearing God's call in your life or not feeling like God is asking you to serve in any way, shape, or form, there's a very real chance there may be sin in your life that is inhibiting you from serving how God wants you to. This can happen to any of us. Guys, I'm gonna have a little confession time here um, just so that you all know that I'm human and not just preaching at you. Do you know what the number one struggle for pastors across America is right now? The number one struggle is finding spiritual growth time and actually spending time in your Bible. For pastors. Now, why is that? How does, how do, how does your pastor end up with that? Well, number one, pastors are in their Bibles all the time. They're constantly preparing lessons. But preparing a lesson is not the same as actually spending time in Scripture for spiritual growth. And so that's one of the things that happens in the life of um, people who are called to vocational ministry. Because a lot of times we label when we say calling, a lot of times we label that as the people that are called to vocational ministry. Well, yes, there is a call to vocational ministry to serve inside the church. like what Jess, John, and I have, have surrendered to. Um, but every one of us is uniquely made and there's a call there and we can inhibit that call by sin in our life, especially known sin. So one of the things that I would, um, I would encourage you to do to do that, and I have to work hard at this because I'm busy. I'm a bivocational um, collegiate minister. Then on top of that, I got four kids, all right? Sleep is a commodity in our house. It's just, that's just how it works. And... Yes, I know how this works. All my kids are under the age of six. My oldest is six. So we stacked them all in there. I, I know how it happens. Um, before any of you make that joke to me, okay? Um, and so we have to make time. We have to intentionally make time to be in Scripture. I have found that the easiest way to do it is it's beautiful. I'm an auditory learner. So I use a Bible plan that brings me through Scripture about every 18 months. I know it says through, the, my current one says through the Bible in 365 days. Well, I intentionally build my plan where there are going to be a lot of Saturdays where I'm traveling or doing other things. So we stack Friday, we stack Monday. Plus we're in church intentionally on Sunday as well. So I'll get through it in about 18 months. That's the plan that works for me. That keeps me engaged with scripture. I do that every morning because of before work and before the kids get up, I head to the gym and I do it on the treadmill. I'm having to do a little bit of multitasking and that's okay. But that is my spiritual growth time. That is not my lesson planning time. There's a very big difference. And guys, I struggled with that in my 20s. Like I'll just be, I'll just be candid and open. That was quenching the Holy Spirit in my life. That was quenching me at different points from being the best youth pastor that I could have been. And it took some hard lessons and spiritual growth and also mentors helping me figure out that that was, a, that was a known sin in my life. I got lazy. And how many times can we all do that? It's very easy. And guys, we're not just talking like, it can be any sin. 
It can be a grudge against a family member. It can be um, not resolving a conflict with a friend. Because, guys, it's, how many of you think it's, like, super pleasant to resolve a conflict with a friend? Like, I, I love conflict resolution. I hate it. Guys, I, I'm, and I'm in management of all things. Like my, my, my work, my full-time job is like I'm part of the leadership team. So that means I get to do conflict management, which is, again, not something I'm comfortable with. But when you resolve something, it turns that faucet back on and allows the Holy Spirit to be splashed all over. And your call will be evident. So my challenge again is, where is God calling you to serve? How is he calling you to serve? And sorry, John, I'm about to make you more busy. Um, It might not even be a ministry that you have here yet. It might be something that God is calling you to do where it might be, hey, I'd really like to do such and such. I'd really like to do this particular ministry. Can you help me? That may be what that looks like. And I'm gonna challenge you to do that. But when we remove the sin from our lives, the Holy Spirit speaks in and you hear Jesus the same way that he called Levi and you hear him say, yes, do this. Now, the next piece is what gives us the power to do that? And if you put the, uh, the scripture up on the board, what gives us the power to do that? And I'm going to uh, switch this up a little bit, my order, because I told this illustration afterwards, um, but I'm going to tell it first, this time here in the second service. I have a brother-in-law and it's my, my wife's brother. He's, he's older than me. And he is, um, Rachel corrected me, he is the commander of a ship. I called it a submarine. It's a ship, even though it's still a submarine, is what she told me. So I messed that up in first service. But he is like the dude with his finger on the red button. Okay, so that was his job. It's pretty cool to see that. But when he got his first command of a ship, they had a commissioning. Now, what that actually meant was, like, you bring all your friends and family in, and there, there's two points to this. He was personally commissioned to be the commander of that boat. But then, the second thing is, this was a brand new boat that he got to be in charge of. Like, can you talk of, sorry, ship. <laughs> um, so he got to be in, in charge of this ship, and, well, that's a lot of pressure. Can you imagine, like, you're the first person that gets to take out a brand new submarine, like bright and shiny. So there is a lot of pomp and circumstance. Your entire family comes out because this is a product of almost 20 years worth of work. And so that, that was a big deal for him to um, be at that level officer in the Navy. And it was a commissioning. And he was given the task of, you take this ship out and you take it and you take your orders and you protect the United States of America. That was his job. That was his commissioning. And so that's where I want to go with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so I'm going to give a little more context. Jesus was there with his 11 disciples when he's giving this. And so he's got an audience. That's who his audience was. But the way this is written, it's meant for a broad audience and not just meant for those 11 there. This wasn't just a commission. This was meant for long-term. This was meant for all believers of all time is the way that the context works. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is where Jesus is commissioning this audience, which is us. This is where he is commissioning them to therefore go and make disciples. So you have a calling and you have a unique way that God wants you to do that. But you have been commissioned and empowered by Jesus to do that. Now, because you've been commissioned, your mission will it will be laser focused when we remove the sin in our lives. And guys, I'm getting back to that point where I talk about if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm gonna save that one for the end um, where, when we get to, our, get to our point where we're wrapping up. And so you have been commissioned, but I'm going to start with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is making a pretty bold statement there. But I think a guy who rose from the grave and his audience seeing it there. Yeah, I think he had the right to do that. He had the right to say all authority in heaven and on earth and is backed up by the fact that I resurrected. And the beauty of this is, guys, Jesus wasn't a backup plan. Jesus wasn't an accident. Satan didn't manage to like sneak in and surprise God and say, oh man, I better, dude, Jesus, you're getting the call up here because Satan tricked me. That's not how that worked. Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. Salvation was coming through Jesus from the very beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that math always, like, it always amazes me. It's one of those things about God that's absolute faith point where you understand that. And so we have to view our call in light of Jesus told us to. If we view our individual lives in the light of Jesus has commissioned us to take the gospel to the nations, we are at a point where we understand that this is incredible. It is important. We're commissioned to do this. We are meant to make a difference. And it also puts us in a position where we understand that the gospel is not optional. Now, I know there have been a lot of conversations about how, well, I don't feel like I'm called to be evangelist. No, you're not. But the gospel is not optional. And I'll tell you one way that you can be. Because the, the gift of evangelism, when we, when we talk about spiritual gifts, guys, there are some people who are gifted evangelists. There just are. Like, they can, like, they can present a message and you can watch the whole, whole audience like, just come down. Like that's just how they, how they work. That's their spiritual gift. But every one of us is called to share the gospel because it's not optional. So let me, let me give you a very practical way. In your mind's eye right now, I want you to think of someone who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you to think in your mind's eye right now. Then what I want you to do is I want you to start going through a list of people that you know. And I'm gonna encourage you to write that list down. Now, don't tell those people that they're on this list of people that you're praying for, okay? You don't, we don't lord that over them or act like that. That's kind of awkward. You don't want to be like, hey, uh, I'm praying for you because I know you're not saved. That's not how this works. What I want you to do is I want you to take that list and I want you to say, okay, I'm going to commit to pray for these people on a regular daily basis. 
And I want to pray that they hear the call in their life, just like Levi did, where it is saying, hey, come, follow me. Pray that people would hear that because, guys, I'm a big fan of the term follower of Christ because one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to preach is, let's just be, let's just be real candid here. If I talk to a very, very young audience, ages, say, three to seven, if I give them two options, one is burn forever or the other is sing forever in heaven, they're going to pick sing forever in heaven, and I've not actually told them what saving grace is. And it's very easy to do that when you're talking with small kids. So, you know, children's workers, I really, you have, you have my heart in prayers because of how hard it is to share that message with them. It's incredibly hard to share that. So I used to, in VBS, you have your ABC nights. When I was a full-time youth pastor, I regularly had the opportunity to do the ABC night. So as I got a little bit better at it, I realized we got to split these groups up. I can't have my older students in there with the younger students because my older students, they would get it a lot better. But I had to make sure that with the younger students, I was really communicating with them that, Guys, you are following Christ your whole life. This is like longer than your, to, your, to your next birthday. Because like in a, in a small child's mind, a lot of their year functions around Christmas and birthday and when those things arrive on a calendar year. And so I had to make sure that I communicated that this length of time was a lot longer than just a little thing. And it's following Christ. It's committing your life to him and make sure that I was clear in understanding that. And I was okay if it took me a couple of years communicating that message before we saw those students because I didn't want there to be confusion. Because one of the things I actually dealt with quite a bit as a youth pastor, and I'm sure Jess has to some degree, is I had students that would come to me later and be like, Scott, I know I said a prayer when I was little. I'm not sure what I said. I did it because they gave us the opportunity to go forward. And I'm like, yeah, we need to sort out your salvation with fear and trembling right now. That's part of, that was part of my job as a youth pastor. I've had some of that in college. Usually it's a little clearer by then what they figured out. My wife actually encountered that too. She realized when she was a teenager that, man, I, I made a decision, but I don't know what I did. So we sorted through that together. And so you sort out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so, again, we made sure that we use the word follower because when you are a follower of Christ, it communicates that call. I have been called by Christ. I am following Christ with my life. And there's a big difference between a follower and a fan of Jesus. And so we really worked really hard with children to communicate that you're following Christ your entire life. And so the next piece is that when we've been commissioned, we will follow Christ and we'll view this as a call that goes through our entire life. And once you're called, there is no turning back. We don't turn back on the call that we have with the gospel. The gospel is not optional. It is something that is there. Now, to close this out, the thing that we're dealing with when we close this out is that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. But if you have never answered that call, if you have never been in a position where you say, hey, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. Guys, don't wait any longer. Today is that day because we don't have tomorrow guaranteed. If there is anything that the last two years has taught us is that there is absolutely nothing guaranteed in our lives. There is nothing guaranteed that we are going to get to be able to be here 
Guys, we found out that, you know what, that office that we were at all the time, well, how many of you are tired of Zoom meetings? I am. Like, that changed. Our lives changed. We spent a lot of time outside of our places of work, and there were some things that happened, but it was uncertain. In March of 2020, we were all pretty fearful about the way the world was going to look. We didn't understand why are we locking down what is going on here. I'm not going to get into the politics or anything like that. It's just, there was just a lot of uncertainty, and I think we can all agree on that at that point. We don't know what is coming. This isn't meant to be a scare tactic, but life can change on a dime. If you have never become a believer, if you have never answered that call, I'm going to challenge you to do that. And what I would really want you to do is I would want you to come down, and we're going to do an invitation here in a minute, and remove that sin that has never been actually confessed. If there's not been a point where you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna challenge you to do that today where you say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be the follower the rest of my life and I am hearing Jesus say my name because each of us, again, each of us as an individual, it is unique. The gospel has a call in each of our lives and I would challenge each of you to serve Because when we are commissioned, whether you're a new believer, whether you are an old believer, that commissioning has never ended. We are called to go to the ends of the earth. I'm I'm excited because I know that this is a mission-sending church. I love um, churches that send their teams out on missions, uh, mission trips. And I love that because what it says is we we are sending people outward. This is a big deal. When you're ascending church, that says a lot about your ability to understand, comprehend, and take the gospel. Because believe it or not, one of the churches I served at, we found out that they hadn't sent anyone on a short-term mission trip in 11 years. But that needs to change. That needs to change real quick. Because when we look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go therefore. Every one of us is called to go therefore. But the beauty of this is you never know how God is going to use you. And I'm going to use this as as my last illustration to show that God can move you from one end to the next. There was a youth pastor that I worked with um, when I was in Texas. This was a long time ago. I was in Texas from 2002 to 2006, and that's where I went to college. I started interning at this church. It was named Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. And when I started interning there, I had a friend whose name was Joe. Joe was the janitor at the church. Um, He also did a lot of the maintenance. um, But I started noticing that Joe was coming to youth events, and I talked to my boss, his name was Rick, and he was the uh, um, youth pastor there. Still is, actually. He's been there a really long time. And Rick said, well, hey, Joe is kind of feeling a call into youth ministry, and so he's serving um, in this capacity, and he was serving as a volunteer But over the course of time, he had been mentored and he started working on it and he made himself available to God's call in his life and he served in ministry and not long before I left, he was serving as the full-time youth pastor five miles down the road at the place called First Baptist Early. And so it was really cool to see Joe progress where he just started to look at his call He was working at the church and serving, but he was willing to answer that call just like Levi did. And he he had also, and I didn't tell this part in the first service, 
Joe had become a believer later in life. So he answered the first call, just like Levi did. Then he answered the service call again, and then he went into full-time ministry. Not everyone's going to go into full-time ministry, but I use that as an example of you never know where you are going to go. You never know how this is going to pan out. When I left Gillette, Wyoming, I had done about a year where I was kind of bivocational back and forth, and I said that I was never going to be a bivocational pastor again. Dale, how long have I been bivocational now? Eight years? <laughs> so this is one of those uh, situations where you never know how God is going to work. He's provided us the opportunity to, um, to serve in that capacity. So that is where I'm going to close. Um, hey, I'm going to throw a loop on this. Um, we're going to do one of the um, other songs for the invitation because my wife is not back yet and she sings the other one. So I will let you know. Um, but this is the invitation. If you have not heard the call of Jesus Christ, please answer that call. Please, please, please answer that call. Don't leave here uncertain of your salvation. And hey, she's back. And then also, don't leave here. If you feel God is calling you to serve in some way, vocalize that. Sometimes the sin that we're using to quench the Holy Spirit, sometimes it is actually saying no to God. Where does God want you to serve and how does he want you to serve? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come here and preach. And Lord, I just pray that those who need to answer your call in their life would, whether that be salvation or whether that be ministry service. And Lord God, thank you that we get to be here and to talk about that. But Lord, I just pray that you would empower Crosspoint Baptist Church to continue being a sending church, to continue being a church that grows constantly. In its, in its relationship with you, Lord. But God, I just pray that you would open doors for ministry, that if there's not a ministry here, that you would rise up the leaders who are being called to that, God. I pray that you would just provide those opportunities, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen.